Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is Cybersecurity TLDR, and this is going to be your Threat Intel Briefing for October 2nd, 2022 through October 8th, 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, I appreciate it. Make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. If you think of anything that you wanna see as far as content, let me know in the comments as well. Or if you think of any ideas of maybe ways that we can improve the show, I'm always welcome, uh, welcoming ideas to improve the show and make things better for everybody in the community. If you're listening on pop, uh, one of the podcasting platforms, we are available on all the popular platforms, so iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review as well. And also make sure to check out the description because I will leave a link to the show notes, which will also be on my website, johngood.com. So you can check out all the articles there in case we don't get through all the articles that we have. Or if you want to dive deeper into the specific subjects, then you can find the articles on there also. Without any more delay, Want to go ahead and jump into the first article here. So first article, Microsoft confirms two exchange server zero days that are being used in cyber attacks. If you haven't heard about this, this is kind of a big deal, right? Microsoft confirmed that it's investigating two zero days affecting its exchange server software late Thursday following a report. And this uh, this was Thursday of last week, so not this, this previous Thursday. But uh, following a report from Vietnamese cybersecurity firm GTSC, the vulnerabilities are being exploited in the wild. GTSC said it discovered the issues in August while doing security incident monitoring and response, then reported the issue to Microsoft's zero-day initiative, which confirmed the bugs. The attacks uh, GTSC reported chained together two vulnerabilities. One uh, is what's known as a server-side request forgery vulnerability, designated as CVE 2022-41040, that can allow an attacker with credentials uh, for a user account on the mail server to gain unauthorized levels of access. The second vulnerability, identified as CVE 2022-41082, allows remote code execution similar to the 2021 proxy shell issues that caused chaos for many companies, according to GTSC, although the firm wrote it is not yet uh, comfortable releasing the technical details. So just from a couple of standpoints here, right? Anytime that software affects something so mass scale as like exchange, right? Exchanges in a lot of places. Microsoft is in a lot of places, right? You probably have Microsoft Office on your computer right now. You might even have a Microsoft Exchange on your computer, but it's everywhere, right? So whenever there's vulnerabilities for these kind of softwares, you know, that's kind of a serious issue, right? You have to take it seriously because it's, it's everywhere. It's probably gonna affect your organization. Uh, the second thing that I wanna point out here is that you know, whenever you're doing vulnerability management or vulnerability scanning, you identify vulnerabilities, you have to look at the, the possibility or the likelihood that this could be exploited. So for instance, in this uh, particular one, uh, we're looking at chaining two vulnerabilities together, right? Whenever I have to chain vulnerabilities together, that makes it a little bit more difficult for the attacker, just how it is, right? Like there's, there's more things that have to go right, right <laughs> for the attacker. And if you're listening on podcasting platform, I, I did quotes, right? Like, um, and 
you know, that's because if you have one vulnerability that you can exploit and get access, then that's easy-ish. But once you start chaining them together and you have to have more things kind of go right or go, go as planned, it makes things harder, right? But, um, you know, I mean, that, that's really the big thing with that. And especially, again, with vulnerability management and risk management and vulnerabilities in general, one of the things that you end up doing is you end up prioritizing them, right? So let's think of if we're an organization and we have something that, um, you know, even though there's zero days, but we have something that really has to chain together multiple uh, vulnerabilities. Well, if I don't have one of those vulnerabilities, then that can't even happen, right? Like that, this particular issue wouldn't be able to happen because it's missing one of the components to do that. And so that has to go into your prioritization uh, consideration when you're, you're actually prioritizing your vulnerabilities. You know, same thing goes with if there's a remote vulnerability, but you don't have that, uh, that system or that network connected outside of your room or your facility, right? Then that remote vulnerability might not actually be an issue, even though it is technically coming up on your scanner as a vulnerability. So I think that's one of the things to really consider as you're going through vulnerabilities. Uh, in cybersecurity, you know, in this career field, we're going to deal with vulnerabilities all the time. So this is just a normal kind of um, situation where you have to look at vulnerabilities and prioritize them, especially when you're going to actually mitigate them. So that, that's a key thing because you can't fix everything. You definitely want to fix the critical things and... Um, but that, that is a scenario that's going to come into play at some point in your career or in, working in cybersecurity where you have to actually, you know, you have to decide, you have to make a decision. So really important. Uh, we had another article that was related to that too, that I want to cover real quick. Microsoft exchange zero, uh, server zero day mitigation can be bypassed in their adversary, uh, advisories for the two vulnerabilities. Microsoft says the mitigation instructions apply for customers with on-premise exchange server and the exchange online clients don't need to take any action. However, many organizations have a hybrid setup that combines on-premise and cloud deployment of Microsoft Exchange, and they should understand that they're also vulnerable. At the time of publishing, Microsoft has not released an update to fix the two issues, but published security advisories with information about the impact and the conditions necessary for exploitation. So, you know, quick follow-on um, to that previous article, but in today's environments, a lot of organizations do have these hybrid setups where you have to consider that, right? So if the cloud instance is vulnerable, but your local instance is not, or your local instance is and the cloud uh, instance is not, you still have to consider that and how that situation comes into play. And again, that goes along with your prioritization of those vulnerabilities, but you just have to know where you're hosting things, right? Because that comes to the whole, uh, the whole uh, shared responsibility and how all that plays out in the cloud, or if it's on-premise, then it's entirely up to you. And so it's just another consideration that you have to take into account when you're making these decisions. Next article, ex-NSA employee charged with violating Espionage Act selling U.S. cyber secrets. So we see this a lot, right? Uh, former National Security Agency employee appeared in federal court Thursday on charges that he attempted to transmit classified national defense information to an FBI agent he believed was a Russian operative in exchange for $85,000, according to the Justice Department. The former employee, Jara uh, Sebastian Dalkey, 
uh, allegedly told the undercover agent that he had access to information relating to foreign targeting US, of U.S. systems and information on cyber operations, according to the affidavit. Uh, Dalkey was only employed by the NSA for uh, about three weeks before quitting on July 1, but while there, he had a top-secret clearance in his role as an information system security designer, according to the FBI. Dalkey was arrested in Denver. He resides in uh, Colorado Springs on Wednesday after arranging to transfer a new batch of classified information. And this again, this is Wednesday of the previous week when some of this stuff started coming out. Uh, Clarence in his role as an information um, uh, arranging to transfer a new batch of classified information to the undercover FBI agent. Allegedly asked to be paid in cryptocurrency. Dalkey's been charged with three violations of the Espionage Act which carries a potential sentence of death or any terms of years up to life in prison. So, you know, in any country that you're at, um, if you work for that government and you try to take, you know, information, you know, more than likely they're going to come after you, especially the more established countries like the first world countries, you know, they're going to come after you. And, um, I mean, third world countries might come after you too, and a little different method, but, um, you know, the U S is no different, right? We've had a lot of incidents or situations where this has happened and people have tried to take, take information. They've tried to leak information. We've had all the, the Snowden stuff. We've had a lot of other situations that aren't as, uh, publicized that have happened. And so this is, you know, kind of no different. And, you know, it, a lot of times we see this where the people that try to do it and they're like, they go onto like some forums or something like that. And they try to identify some foreign agent, right? Some Russian agent or whatever it is, Chinese agent, whatever, right? Like whichever country. And, you know, it, it's crazy to me that these people that are doing this don't think that these forums and these locations aren't being monitored. There's a whole thing about all the Tor network, right? Which is supposed to be extremely, um, it's supposed to be secure and safe and you can't uh, be detected or tracked on the Tor network. But then we've seen instances of those Tor nodes being monitored, right? Like <laughs> you're crazy to think that this stuff is not monitored. And, you know, this is just another example. I mean, it's, there's more information to this article that we're not going to cover. So I would definitely go look at that article. Um, just as far as, you know, everything around it, why he picked, uh, why he picked the country that he did and, you know, all that stuff. But also too, I mean, from an insider threat standpoint, you know, this person didn't even work there for a month, right? Didn't even work there for a month and already started trying to ship off secrets. That's, that's interesting, you know? Um, the other, you know, something else that's interesting too with this is that, you know, obviously to get clearances, like a top secret clearance, you're not going to get that in three weeks, typically. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there are situations where somebody did get it that quickly, but more than likely this person had a clearance for a while, right? And, or, I mean, most likely had a clearance for a while, could have just gotten cleared. And then that was the start date of when he first officially had the clearance, you know, who knows? Um, but it's interesting, you know, that just goes to show you that it could be somebody brand new to your organization. It could also be somebody that's in your organization for a while. 
And this is not just government. This could be, you know, a bank. Uh, this could be an investing place. It could be a technology company, whatever, right? It could be a lot of different organizations. But, you know, time is not necessarily an indicator of why somebody's going to start taking information. Um, you know, on this particular one, obviously this is a serious issue because it's dealing with secrets uh, for, you know, national secrets. But $85,000 too, right? You know, you're willing to sell, sell out for $85,000. That's, it's so interesting sometimes these amounts that people land on, right? Like they don't shoot for the moon. They're not like, give me like $10 million. They're like, give me a year's salary. Like, you're going to get, you're going to get caught. So, um, but that's just interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how much time that he gets, um, that he gets if, if found guilty, right? If found guilty, but, um, we've seen a lot of different, uh, kind of like varying sentences on stuff like this too. So again, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It'd be nice if they would like put this into the news, like as far as how they're uh, trying this person, but more than likely this kind of thing probably, you know, will have some, you know, it'll probably have some stuff behind the scenes as far as investigations and stuff, but pretty interesting. Uh, Ransomware gang leaks data stolen from LA USD school system. Vice Society ransomware gang published data and documents Sunday morning that were stolen from the Los Angeles Unified School District during a cyber attack earlier this month. LAUSD Superintendent Alberto M. Carvajal, Carvalho uh, confirmed the release of stolen data in a statement posted to Twitter, along with announcing a new hotline launching tomorrow morning at, and then it gives a number by, uh, for concerned parents and students to ask questions about the data leak. Unfortunately, as expected, data was recently released by a criminal organization. This is a quote. In partnership with law enforcement, our experts are analyzing the full extent of the data release, tweeted Carvalho. Uh, the public release of data comes after the school announced Friday that they would not be giving ransom demands and that the district could use the money for students and their education. So it's an interesting stance, right? Whenever you get ransomware attacks, you have to make a decision. You know, are you going to pay the ransom or are you going to not pay the ransom and live with consequences, right? We've also seen companies try to pay the ransom and then the, the information still gets leaked, right? Because, you know, bad, bad guys have no morals, basically, right? Like they're, or very low bars. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's just interesting to see a school system take a stance like this. Um, I, you know, it probably makes sense, especially in their situation, because, yeah, I mean, they're already limited on budget anyways, but they're going to use their money towards students and their education. They're just, they're going to take the, the um, reputational hit, right? And I actually, I think it's an interesting and probably a good decision, right? It's not, uh, you know, let's, let's dump all of our budget into this and, you know, try to stop them in quotes, right? But um, let's just, you know, it was our is our fault. Let's go ahead and just wear it, and uh, we'll just keep moving as normal. I'm sure the attackers <laughs> didn't see that one coming. I'm sure they're like, "No, we we can blackmail the school. They'll definitely pay." Yeah, yeah. And they didn't. So, 
uh, live support service hacked to spread malware ch- uh, malware in supply chain attack. The official installer for the COM1, uh, 100 live chat application, a widely deployed SaaS, which is a software as a service uh, that businesses use for customer communication and website visitor visitors, uh, was trojanized as a part of a new supply chain attack. A report from CrowdStrike says that the infected variant was available from the vendor's website from at least September 26th to the morning of September 29th because the Trojanized installer uses a valid digital signature, that's key, right? And a virus solutions would not trigger warnings during its launch, allowing for a stealthy supply chain attack. So if you haven't been following a lot of the supply chain issues, there's a lot of uproar and kind of things that are changing within the industry and software development. Uh, trying to get supply chain more secure, right? Like we've seen GitHub do some stuff and just other stuff in general. But um, there's been a lot of focus on supply chains and really trying to secure them. And, you know, this is an example, right? If your company gets hacked and you can't, um, you know, or rather your supplier gets hacked, right? And you're still ingesting their, their software, you know, that's kind of an issue, right? Like, how do you identify that? How do you handle that? Right? Like you've just installed an update that's supposed to be good to go. And then that all of a sudden has uh, malware in it or some kind of Trojan, right? And especially in this situation, whenever that software is valid, so it's, it's got the valid digital signature, which a lot of software uh, can be signed. So that way it's like, hey, this is official software, right? That means it's somewhere in the code base. And, uh, you know, it was in there at some point through that deployment method. Now, if they're using something like a DevOps kind of pipeline, right, where a lot of stuff is automated, you know, how many versions of that software had that Trojan in there, right? Like that becomes an important issue. Um because those are released constantly, you know, new updates, new updates, new updates. It could be in there for a while. Either way, it could probably be in there for a while. But is it then in something that is very embedded into the system, you know, like a very early component? You know, that's another concern, right? So where at, where at the point of development did it get embedded in there? How did it get embedded in there? All of those are good questions. And, um, you know, obviously it says, at least it was available at least September 26th until the morning of September 29th. So it doesn't sound like there's a very good um, grasp as far as when that got compromised too. So, um, but you have to be careful your supply chain, right? Where are you getting your software from? Where are you getting your, your third-party libraries, your components, your physical parts of things, your software, you know, all that stuff, right? That all matters. So, um, it's definitely an interesting, interesting way to go. Instead of going for the actual victim, you just go for the the supply chain. They'll distribute it out to the victims, and all will be good, right? So, yeah. Uh, next article: Seattle woman gets probation for massive Capital One hack. Former Seattle tech worker convicted of several charges related to a massive hack of Capital One Bank and other companies in 2019 was sentenced Tuesday to time served and five years of probation. U.S. District Judge Robert S. Lasnik said sentencing former Amazon software engineer Paige Thompson to time in prison would have been particularly difficult on her because of her mental health and transgender status. 
the Department of Justice said in a statement. U.S. Attorney Nick Brown said his office was very de- uh, disappointed with the sentencing decision, adding prosecutors had asked for Thompson to serve seven years in prison. And then there's a quote, this is just not what justice looks like, uh, Brown said in a statement. In June, a Seattle, uh, if you're wondering what, what she did, in June, a Seattle jury found her guilty of wire fraud, unauthorized access for, uh, to a protected computer, and damaging a protected computer. The jury acquitted her of, of other charges, including access device fraud and aggravated identity theft. Thompson, 37, obtained the personal information of over 100 million people a data breach that prompted Capital One to reach a $190 million settlement with affected customers. The Treasury Department fined the company $80 million for failing to protect the data. Okay, so let let that sink in, right? So $190 million uh, settlement, and then also fined $80 million, right? That's pretty substantial, right? Like, I mean, I don't have $190 million. <laughs> like, I don't have $80 million, right? Like, that's a lot of money. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I think we're seeing a lot of times is, or at least what it feels like, is we're not seeing consistent um, penalties, right? We're not seeing consistent penalties for hacking. And I think that, um, you know, and th- this is not necessarily based on this judgment, right? Like this is across the board. We're seeing a lot of fluctuation and a lot of variety and, uh, and settle or, uh, a lot of variety in the punishments, right. And the judgments and, uh, and the rulings in the courts. And, you know, I think that's an issue, right? I think that, I think we see that in a lot of cases anyways. Like I think whenever anything goes to court, I think there's a lot of leeway. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of subjectiveness to how judges can um, can punish people, right? Like what kind of rulings they can make, and you know, I think personally that um, there's still not a really good grasp on technology and hacking and all this stuff in general, right? Definitely in the courts, definitely in legislators. Like it's clear, it's apparent all the time that technology just still confuses so many people in those kind of positions, right? And, you know, I think that's going to continue for a while. Um, You know, in this particular instance, I mean, it's definitely pretty interesting just the, the widespread impact, you know, so how many people were impacted, the results from that. And then the resulting ruling, right? Like they're almost kind of treating it like a bug bounty program, right? Except that the perpetrator or the the researcher, right? We'll use that in quotes. Uh, didn't get any financial reward, really, right? I feel like if they would have gotten a ton of financial reward, like you know, that, that could have been different, right? Like could have been different because we're seeing something. I mean, not necessarily similar, but kind of in the same ballpark with like Uber and all of those hacks um, where, you know, there's going to be a different outcome, right? (laughs) Going to be a different outcome. And I I think it's just very, very interesting, um, the inconsistent rulings that are being being distributed out. So, um, because, 
you know, I bet you Capital One is going to be like, well, this is ridiculous, right? Like this person hacked our, our systems and caused us all of this financial uh, penalty, but then you're going to allow this person to, to just go, right? To just be let free, essentially, right? Like, you know, obviously probation and all that stuff. But I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting. So I don't think this one is going to go away. I think there's going to be some stuff that's probably going to still linger around, around this issue. So we'll see. But if you are hacking, don't do it on systems you're not authorized to do. You know, you might not get the lenient, the lenient judge. You might get the one that's like, nope, throw the book at him and then, you know, throw him in jail. Right. So you have to be very careful with this stuff. I don't care what the inconsistencies are. You can't like, don't count on that. If you're hacking, you know, you should count on the book being thrown at you for sure. Uh, massive U.S. nonprofit healthcare system grappling with IT security issues. One of the largest nonprofit healthcare systems in the U.S. is dealing with a wide-ranging IT security issue, forcing it to shut off systems at some facilities. Common Spirit Health, which has more than 1,000 care sites and 140 hospitals in 21 states, said on Monday that it's managing an IT security issue uh, that's impacting several electronic healthcare record systems. The Chicago-based company did not respond to requests for comment, but said in a statement that it's following existing protocols for system outages and taking steps to minimize the disruption. Although the company did not respond to requests, the record about the nature of the incident, cybersecurity, uh, cybersecurity researchers, including Kevin Beaumont, suggested ransomware may be involved. I kind of agree, right? We see that a lot of times with healthcare systems is that, you know, it's usually not like, oh, like, we just got hacked. It's usually, oh, we got hacked and then there's a bunch of ransomware on our systems. We got to figure out how to deal with it. You know, I think that's one interesting issue with healthcare systems in general is that uh, obviously they deal a lot with very sensitive information, but also sensitive systems, right? Like life-saving systems. You know, are those systems on the network? There's all kinds of issues that go along with all of that, right? And it's pretty scary when we see you know, healthcare systems getting hacked because a lot of people rely on that stuff. And, you know, it's always an interesting dynamic. If you actually go in and do cybersecurity in a healthcare institute, then it's like, well, you know, the doctors are kind of the, the people running the show, right? And then it's, so it's like, you have to convince them to, you know, implement security and how you're going to do that. And, all the meanwhile, you have to balance, you know, the systems that are going to be on the network. Are they going to be life-saving? Are they going to be, you know, client records, you know, HIPAA protected, all this stuff, right? So just an interesting article, not too much really to dive in there um, because we've seen a lot of healthcare systems getting breached, you know, getting ransomware. And uh, a lot of it comes down to like, uh, seg- things like segmentation, right? Network segmentation. How, where do you have your network segmented? Where are these other devices? How is that all handled? How are updates distributed? You know, all this stuff, right? Um, but yeah, let's see here. So this is an interesting article. Steganography alert: Backdoor spyware stashed in Microsoft logo. Internet sco- uh, snoops. 
have been caught concealing spyware in an old Windows logo in an attack on governments in the Middle East. The Wichita gang used steganography to stash backdoor Windows malware, dubbed backdoor.stegmap, in the bitmap image. Although rarely used by attackers, if successfully executed, steganography can be leveraged to disguise malicious code and seemingly innocuous-looking image files. Researchers at Semantics Threat Hunter team wrote this week. Disguising the payload in this fashion allowed the attackers to host it on a free, trusted service. From what we can tell, Wichita first compromised a network getting into one or more systems, then downloads the image from, say, a GitHub repository, unpacks the spyware within it, and runs it. Hiding the payload in this way and placing it on, uh, placing the file somewhere innocuous online is a big advantage in invading security software, as downloads from trusted sites like GitHub are far less likely to raise red flags than downloads from an attacker-controlled command and control, CNC, or C2 uh, server. The uh, team said, thus fetching this pick after gaining initial access is likely to set, uh, is less likely to set off initial alarms uh, or internal alarms. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't know what steganography is, basically think of like an image. So just whatever image, the Microsoft logo, right? And then I can hide code or hide data within that, right? It could be text, it could be code, it, whatever, right? Like I'm just hiding stuff inside of it. And then, so if I look at that picture, still looks like that same picture. So still looks like the Microsoft logo. I don't see that code. All I see is the picture, right? So it's kind of like behind the scenes. So if you like, imagine like my face as like the image and then behind here is all the code, right? So you can't see it, but it's there. The computer can still use it. I can still extract that information and use it, right? And so it's just very interesting whenever we see that being used. Uh, it's not typically as common to be used. I mean, it gets used. Uh, we've seen even like spy agencies, right? Like embedding things with steganography into images. We've seen terrorist groups doing stuff with steganography. Uh, you know, all kinds of different stuff, right? And, you know, that's an issue, right? Like if if you can upload an image into a system, into an application, whatever, as an example, right? Like an image, uh, and that can have embedded stuff in it, you know, that's an issue. And then from the defender standpoint, just like it says, right? Like if you're going to download like an image or something legitimate from a legitimate source, GitHub as an example, or seemingly legitimate, uh, and that's embedded with stuff, you know, how do we then start to identify that, right? We still have to look for, um, obviously we're not gonna initially get alerted on it. So like a download system, a content filter, something like that is not gonna initiate. Uh, our firewalls aren't gonna block GitHub probably. And you know, so we're not gonna get that initial indicator and we're gonna be reactive, right? Because then that software is gonna be able to be installed or executed or whatever. And then we're going to have to deal with it from that standpoint, from the insider standpoint. That's where something like zero trust comes in into play a lot, right? Because with zero trust, we're assuming our network has already been compromised because in this instance, you know, that's probably going to work, right? You're probably going to get stuff in, into the network. Um, and so we have to assume that our network is compromised. And so we have to do things like segmenting inside of our network, not giving implicit trust to everything, right? 
we have to validate all the the uh, actions that are taken by software, by users, by systems. All this stuff is important. And if you don't know what zero trust is, definitely look it up. But basically, that's the idea, right? Like traditionally, we would really focus on the perimeter, so the outside of our network between the internet and our internal network. So we'd have firewall, we have firewalls, we have all this stuff, trying to keep people out, trying to keep hackers out. But uh, one of the things that's changed and one of the mindsets that's shifting is all companies are pretty much getting hacked. And so we have to assume that we're already breached. We have to assume that we're already, you know, infiltrated and we have to protect the insides from there. So we have to make sure that our our networks are segmented. We have controls internally that aren't going to allow for pivoting or lateral movement. Um, And yeah. Uh, so that, that's the whole idea with all that, but, um, you know, it's definitely interesting just to see it getting embedded specifically into a Microsoft logo, right? Like that's, that's even more interesting, right? They don't do like a, you know, a cat meme or something like that. They're trying to, they're trying to be legitimate about it, you know, got to give them credit. But, uh, that's going to be the last article for today for this week. Again, this was going to be your. This is your threat intel briefing for October second, twenty twenty two through October ten, uh, October eighth, twenty twenty two. I'm your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. If you think of any different content or any kind of other stuff you want to see, any uh, suggestions on how to make the content better for you, definitely open to letting uh, to taking that information in. Uh, if you're listening on podcasting platforms, same thing. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to leave us a review. Also, check out the description for the link to the show notes where you can find these articles and more that we didn't cover or if you want to go deeper into these specific articles. And also, too, just want to let you know that on the YouTube channel, we did celebrate our three-year anniversary. We just passed over three years. So um, this week, actually, we we hit the three-year mark. So we've been creating a lot of content for three years. We're going to keep going for more So we're not stopping. We're going to keep going. We're just going to create more and more and more and more. Always trying to create more value for you and better value so that you can, you know, continue throughout your career and just continue to uh, enjoy this career field, right? Enjoy cybersecurity, staying up to date, specifically with these episodes and these shows. We're keeping you up to date with all the news, but obviously we have a lot of other content that is on the show as well. So uh, without that, without any, uh, any more, uh, any more articles or anything like that for this week, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And I want to thank you for stopping by and I will see you next time.